Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Peter Anderton to talk about the two rules that every leader needs to know. Let me tell you a little bit more about Peter. Peter boosts senior leaders who need their team to go further and faster. He is a speaker, executive coach, and high-performance team engineer whose insights are designed for business leaders who need more change for a lot less effort. His TEDx talk has been watched well over a million times and is now being used in MBA programs around the world. Why? because what he does impacts real people in the real world to make real changes in the effectiveness and performance of their team, accelerate results, and get their life back. I hope you enjoy Peter and I's conversation on the two rules that every leader needs to know. Welcome, Peter, to the show. I am so excited to be here with you. Today's topic, of course, we're talking about the two rules that every leader needs to know. I love that it's simple. I love that it's concise. And it's likely going to be easy because it's just two. But welcome to the show. Welcome to the Leadership Habit, Peter. I'm really glad that you're here joining us from across the pond. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Jen. Thanks very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, let's dive into it because you are new to our audience, a new guest to the Leadership Habit. Could you briefly just tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do, and then we'll dive in. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an engineer who's passionate about leadership, simplicity, and alignment. I genuinely believe if you can get everybody pointing in the same direction, you can achieve just about anything. Uh, And that's the essence of of what I do. I work as an executive coach with senior leaders. And a lot of that is helping them get out of their own way. I I work as a high-performance team engineer, creating alignment in senior teams that they've never experienced before. Uh, And I also work as a a keynote speaker. And and also, um, I run leadership development programs to help leaders really take what they're doing up to a whole new level. Yeah. What inspired you to kind of get into engineering workplaces, engineering leaders? What inspired you to take that course of action? So I was always, as a kid, I was always fascinated about how things worked. Uh, and I was constantly taking things to pieces. I wasn't, I wasn't so good at putting them back together again. But it was always like, how does it work? What, ha- what, 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 what happens here to make this work? What, what's it about? So whether it was that, and that's what got me into engineering initially. But what I started to realize as I got older and I progressed through um, various different roles is that I became more interested in how organizations work and how teams work. And there's all these different moving parts and uh, and how you can actually get them to come together in the right way to deliver an overall purpose and overall outcome. So, so you could describe me as a lapsed engineer because actually in terms of hard engineering, it's, it's some years since I've done that. But I've taken all the principles from being an engineer and I've applied them to what I do now. So in, in a sense, I'm still very much using the principles that go right the way back to my education. I love that. And I can think even just, gosh, yeah, what probably brings all of us into leadership development might be seeing the ways that organizations, teams, leaders are getting it wrong. Yeah. Like, And I know that you have a stance. Like, Where do you think people are getting leadership wrong today? I think there's there's two big things that really frustrate me. So if I if I was going to have a rant for you, um, I would say we've just got to stop looking for the silver bullet. 
there's everybody out there thinking that, oh, all I need is this wonderful new tool or technique. I just need a new tool to put in my toolbox. And once I've mastered that new tool and technique, the next, next new thing that's coming through, then suddenly all of my problems will melt away. Everything will be great. I'll walk down the street. The birds will fly out of the air and land on my shoulders and life will be amazing. And, and, and it's just very, very naive. And, and I, you come across programs, uh, you, you hear people talking about things and they might say, well, I've, I've heard this before. And and my argument is, well, I don't really care whether you heard this before. I care whether you're doing it. And there's almost this assumption that if it's not new, I don't need to do it. I've got to find the silver bullet. That's the one thing that will solve all my problems. And it's lunacy. That's the first thing that really winds me up. Let's stop collecting tools and techniques and start recognizing that it goes deeper than tools and techniques. And we need to get the foundation right before we do anything with tools and techniques. So that would be, that's the first mistake that I think we're making. Leadership is not about a tool or a technique. There's some things that are useful, but it doesn't begin with the tool or technique. And the second thing that I would say is, is really where we go wrong is we've overcomplicated it. We, we've made leadership an incredibly complex field. And you would think with all the research that's been done, in recent decades, you know, it's, got, it's increased exponentially. You would have think that we'd have we'd have cracked it, we'd have made it clear, we'd have made it understandable, we'd have made it accessible to everybody. But no, we've made it more complicated. We've actually got to the point that people feel like they need to have an MBA to understand what leadership is all about, and that is just so wrong because leadership, although it's hard, it's actually very very simple. And going back to your introduction, everything we need to know about leadership comes down to two rules and the rest, the rest is just noise. Oh my gosh. See, whenever I think about leadership, it's almost like we forgot the etiquette that we used to apply to get on with friends, to hang out on the playground, to treat people with kindness. I mean, that's the perspective that I hear overcomplicated. We're all in the business of working with humans. It's humans. That's all it is. It really is. And, and and I think if we could just boil it down to the, the basic mindset that a leader requires in order to get the best out of other people, in order to be at their best, then it all starts to fall into place. That's where we need to be looking. Yeah. And I want to dive into that. But before, I mean, there's something to be said about so many achievers, what I, the chair that I sit in, so many achievers are chomping at the bit, waiting for the tools, attending the trainings, but then don't do the work of actually implementing the tools. And so it's funny to know that they, the eagerness and the drive to get the tools is there, but then it's almost like, okay, I got this dopamine hit. I have this knowledge and Somehow by having this knowledge, I'll do it without actually thinking about how they'll do it. I don't know if you see that with a lot of your achievements. Yeah, yeah. Just it's almost that tool. Well, it becomes an intellectual thing, doesn't it? It's about whether I know it. It's about it's about whether I understand what it's about, all of those things. Uh, but it doesn't seem to relate to the practice. And it's the practice that matters. It's ultimately it's about the impact that you're having on other people. That's, that's really what it boils down to. And that's a matter of practice. It doesn't matter what's in your head. What right. matters is how you behave. I mean, because if everyone that took a communications course that we taught at Crestcom, that you taught in your world, 
you would think, okay, great. If you're doing something with this, we're all great communicators. There's less conflict. We're setting expectations in the right way. We understand what's appropriate to say and what not might not be. And communication is always the example I like to use because sometimes people think it's too easy that I already know this already. But then you look at their communication style and you're like, I don't think you're listening to anything that you've heard or actually tried to put it into effort. Communication itself is one of the most challenging pieces of leadership. And yet we think it's so obvious that we just know it because we took a class. <laughs> uh, I was talking to um, a really fascinating guy just earlier today, a guy called Jonathan Stebbings. And it's interesting, actually, because he was somebody who inspired me to do what I do. I remember uh, bringing him in to do some executive coaching when I worked at 3M. Uh, and also he was he was running uh, some programs that we were, we were putting out there at the time. And he was just he was fantastic. And I had that moment of you're who I want to be when I grow up. And, and I, I've actually had the opportunity just today. I reached out to him to a couple of times just to have a conversation with him, just to thank him for the impact that he had on me. And I had a, had a really interesting conversation with him, and he and he focuses on communication. That's that's the core of what he does. And he says, "Do you know what, Peter? There's only really one program. They're all the same. It's all about how can you get across to other people what you're trying to say, and how can you fully understand what they're trying to say to you." He says, "That's it. <laughs> it's all about that. You can package it up in so many different ways, but if you've got that at the core, then you've nailed it." Yeah. And I totally agree. But there are so many ways that people are getting it wrong. I mean, you didn't talk about this, but I imagine you have a point of view in terms of where people are getting it wrong. We're operating way too quick. We are operating without thinking and we're just waiting and hoping for things to work themselves out, for people to understand what we're trying to ask them to do. We're operating way too fast in today's workforce. And I would argue that, I mean, development is obviously one of the biggest challenges, but the next one is that we're not even taking time to think about what we're doing anymore. And I know we're going to dive into the mindset piece, which is where we slow down, but what are your thoughts on the speed of which we're operating today? Or do you see the same from where you sit? Or is that more of a... Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it's a constant thread we see just about everywhere I look is, is is this question of speed. And I think there are probably two factors that come to mind. So the, the first one is that the pressure we put ourselves under to almost feel like we need to have all of the answers and we need to get it sorted and we need to fix it and it needs to happen yesterday. And we and with that, we, we try and cover everything. So I, I work with a lot of organisations that they're going a mile wide and an inch deep. And in reality, what we need to recognize is, look, there's always going to be stuff going on around us. Just keeping the shop open is a huge achievement in itself. You know, just keeping things moving as they are is significant. But when we try and drive change on all these different fronts at once, which is usually what happens because we're too impatient, that's when we just dilute all of our efforts and we end up going nowhere fast and we end up being busy fools. And there comes an element to say, well, okay, I've got all this stuff that I need to do. This is part of the business. This is part of the organization. This is part of the service that we provide. That's core. Right now, where are we going to focus our efforts in terms of really moving things forward? There's maintaining things and there's moving things forward. And I I think 
The biggest issue is that we're trying to drive too many things forward at once. And we kid ourselves, you know, it even comes down to day-to-day basis. We kid ourselves that we can multitask, you know, that we can do all these different things at once. And of course, it's been shown really clearly that we're actually flicking our attention between different tasks and losing energy and momentum all the time. We flick our attention between them. And actually, we deliver far more saying, I'm going to drive this. We're going to take this forwards. Right. Once we've embedded that, then we're going to drive that and we're going to take that through. And I think... I think, you know, those two things are the critical elements. There's almost this feeling that we need to come up with all of it ourselves and we create this momentum and this internal pressure. But also, secondly, this this feeling that we're trying to drive everything and we're not taking anything out. We're always adding more things in. And and I think that's the problem. Yeah. And we're just seeing burnout and mental health Mm. really take the toll for it in today's workforce that people are trying to do too much. And I love that you talked about the multitasking because of course, solo tasking is the new multitasking. But yet I watched something on TV and it was an old show and it was probably 20 years ago and I saw it last night and it was an interview, a clip of someone interviewing and they asked what your strengths were. I can do a lot of things at once. And I remember being told that at a young age, that as you were preparing for an interview, that multitasking was the ideal strength to try and highlight. So you could show them just how much you could accomplish. And I think we have to deprogram that lie that we were taught that multitasking actually is this thing. And I even noticed with leaders that they clutch on to their ability of multitasking as if it's a point of pride. And they, you know, they want to stick to their strength in that without realizing that they are draining energy and momentum, that they're actually not able to give their best self to the work that they're doing because they're trying to do too much. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, beautifully put. Like, it's just funny to me because I definitely, I know I use that in an interview probably 10 times. I'm a great multitasker. All right, well, let's dive into the, the two rules that everyone, every leader needs to know. Peter, what are the two rules? And I just share me the rules and then we can dive into that. What are the two rules that you think that every leader needs to know today? So the first thing that any leader needs to understand, which is rule number one, it's the foundation for all things leadership. It's not about you. Too often we think it's, you know, it's about me. It's about my ideas. It's about my solutions. It's about my ego. If we're really honest with ourselves, that gets in the way a huge amount The more we recognize that the leader's job is delivering results through other people and that if they're actually going to be successful, the mindset shift that is required is it's not my job to deliver the result. It's my job to deliver the team who deliver the result. That's when everything starts to fall into place. And and. And I recognize, you know, there are times when, you know, there's a crisis and stuff going on and we need to roll up our sleeves and we need to dive down in there in the trenches with the team. I get that. I'm not suggesting we should constantly be standing back and only letting them deliver the results. That's not real life. That's not how it works. But, But if we're always the one in the trenches with them and nobody's standing up there working out how to get out of the trenches, then we're doing them a huge disservice. And we think we're helping but actually we're failing them terribly. Uh, and that's right. the critical thing we need to recognize. It's, you know, it's, it's, it, yeah, Eleanor Roosevelt put this beautifully, actually. She said, well, a good leader inspires people to have confidence in the leader. 
But a great leader inspires people to have confidence in themselves. And what you don't want to be doing here is creating a team of people who are dependent on you and your solutions on your own, your ideas, your ways of doing things. You want to be creating a team of people who own what they're doing, who will make it happen. And effectively, what you're doing is creating more leaders, not necessarily you know, who's going to become the next chief exec, but people who own what they're doing so that when things go wrong, they're not just passing it up the chain and it's a bigger challenge for you to work your way through. They're owning it and they're sorting it and they're making it happen. That's what we need to be creating in our organizations. I love that. You hit on one of my favorite things to talk about, which is rampant in leadership, especially, you know, ego. I think people don't realize what even the starting point of their own ego is as a leader. I think that a lot of leaders, you talked about this earlier, we expect ourselves to know everything. We have to constantly prove our worth and validation to everyone else so then we can show that we're just good enough to be a leader or I'm smart enough. I'm smarter than you. And I think, again, many of us have been programmed to lead in that way, to show how dominant or smart we were when it, yeah, it's not about us. No yeah, one yeah. cares. <laughs> I um, I got really, I got really frustrated. So I, the, of, you see lots of fantastic stuff on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there. Uh, and there was a, a, a video clip recently from Diary of a CEO, which is, which is a fantastic podcast. I, I love it. But it's Karen Brady basically saying, you know, your job as a leader, it's all about having the vision. It's all about, you You know, often it's something that only you can see and you've got to create the vision and you've got to get everybody on board for the vision. And I'm sitting there thinking, where did we write the rule book that said this incredible vision has to come from the leader? Everybody knows that there needs to be a vision. Everybody know, needs to know that people need to share it. They need to be bought into it. And yes, the vision needs to be sold. But where in the rule book did we write that the leader has to be the one with the brilliant idea? It's just an invention. And that's, and that's ego speaking. <laughs> and the thing is, we've got to recognize here, it's not like some leaders have ego and some leaders don't. Let's, it's all part of the human condition. We all have ego. Right. We all, you know, it's ego that will sometimes push us forward when maybe we should step back. It's ego that, you know, that makes us hesitate about having the tough conversation because we're worried about how it's going to happen. We're all struggling with ego. Nobody's not got it. We've all we've all got that as a challenge to deal with. But the question is the extent to which we listen to it, we rely upon it, and we let that drive the actions that we take. Because if that's what's happening, then you end up creating a team that only works when you're there. You get that horrible scenario where you're thinking, well, I'd love to go away on annual leave, but do you know what? It's a mess. Or you're kind of on annual leave, but you're kidding yourself because in reality, you're busy checking your emails and you're answering queries and, you know, they might just need me. Something might crop up or whatever. And all you're doing is perpetuating the whole idea that the team require you in order to be able to function. And it's all back to ego at the end of the day. Yeah, we need to put down like that badge of honor that we feel like we own from people depending on us and say, actually, you can have a much more fulfilled life, a more competent team by actually letting it go and not making it about you. Hi, everyone. It's Jen. And I'm just coming to you because we need your help. Presscom International, the organization that hosts the Leadership Habit podcast that I proudly work for, is looking to expand their network of people that are committed to creating more ethical, engaging, and human leaders. 
Now, how is that relevant to you? Well, we're looking for referrals. Do you know someone that is interested in giving back and being an entrepreneur and owning their own business or that wants to make a difference and is passionate about leadership development? Well, I'm excited to share with you that Crestcom has just launched a referral program. If you know someone, maybe it's a past mentor or a boss that's interested in making a career change and wanting to leverage the knowledge and their experience in the classroom, send them our way. We have this new program and here's the scoop. We've designed an easy to use referral form available on crestcom.com forward slash referrals. And you can visit the site, submit your referrals and access all of the rules along with required terms and conditions. Here's the sweet spot of this. If you refer a successful candidate, we'll give you $2,500. Now we want to expand and make our mission even greater, but we can't do that without your help. So if you know someone that would be interested in becoming a franchisee for an amazing leadership development organization that wants to get into the classroom and make a difference, head on over to crestcom.com forward slash referrals today and help us impact your workplaces and the leaders that you work with. Here's the only caveat. Please note that this program is currently open to applicants based in the United States only. So how do you, from your perspective, because I know that that's hard for achievers, the messages that we all have about who and what leadership is, it is deeply programmed in us. How do you get people to start to let that go, to let go of that notion that, you know, hey, it actually isn't about me. It's about the team. It's it's not a me, it's a we. How do you help people do that? I think it starts by understanding the importance because at the, at the moment, it sounds a little bit like a nice little sound bite. Here we go. Rule number one, it's not about you. Hey, that's neat. Yeah. Where, where did that come from? <laughs> uh, and what I'll do with, with leaders is I kind of deconstruct it and I, I get them to think about, and, and may, maybe we can do this here, Jen, get you to think about people that they've worked for in the past. You know, we, And we've all worked for you know people that we've loved working for. We've all worked for people that actually that was a disaster. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and ironically... We often learn more about leadership from the bad ones than we do from the good ones. It's not nice, uh, but it can be really quite an enlightening process that we learn from that. But let's just just have a play for a minute. I'll, I'll, I'll scribble some of these things down on a scrap of paper that I've got in front of me here. Let's just have a play. Think of some of the worst people you've ever worked for. Okay. What kind of things did they do? Okay. And how did you feel? What, what sort of things did they do as a manager? Oh, if I think about that, they would um, do one thing and say another. They Brilliant. would not develop you. That set and forget. They would set the expectations that weren't very clear and then expect you to know how to get there. Um, and they weren't supportive. They were not supportive when I think about that. Okay. Absolutely. So that's a so so that's a great example. You know, there's those three things that we could think about. We could write a really long list, but let's just stick with those three for now. Um, what about what about the good ones? What was different about them that that set them apart? Where you like, I, I'd work for them in an instant. What was it that I, they did? I mean, I think one of the big ones, which is opposite of what I just said, giving you extreme support, believing yes. in you and your worth. Um, giving you opportunities to leverage your strengths and provide more value. Someone that actually listens to you and someone that takes the time to develop you if you don't yet have the competence. Okay, brilliant. Okay, so let's just take that as our, 
you know, we, we, we could write a really long list, but let's just take these as two examples. So, so the worst people that you ever worked for, they would say one thing, they would do another, but they wouldn't develop you. You know, they just, they just set very vague expectations and, and, and then leave you to fail. You know, they'd forget, forget all about you. And they weren't supportive in any way, shape or form. Where was the focus of their attention? Was it on you or is it on themselves? I mean, with the bad leader, it was on themselves. On themselves, okay. So, uh, and that's a very, very clear cut. It's not a, you know, it's not a difficult decision. You can see that really clearly. Now, talk about the good ones. Then you're thinking about here. You're saying, well, okay, then, you know, actually, they gave me. I love that phrase you termed extreme support. Okay, they really, they really had my back. Um, they give me opportunities. They stretch me. Sometimes that's uncomfortable. Okay, but you knew they were helping you grow. Uh, and they gave you opportunities to also play to your strengths. They took time out for you. They gave you time. They gave you attention and they would listen to what you had to say. Where is the focus of their attention? Is it on themselves or is it on you? Right. It's on me. It's on, it's on you. They okay. care. They genuinely care. They actually care. <laughs> and the, the thing here is, so the first thing to recognize here is that Rule number one of leadership isn't just a nice little soundbite. Rule number one of leadership is the golden thread that separates the best from the worst you've ever worked for. So everything you've ever experienced about leadership comes down to that rule. You realize that, oh my goodness, I worked for that particular person and all the things they were doing was because they kept tripping over rule number one. They thought it was about them. And actually the best ones that I've ever worked for, the people that I would aspire to be like, for them the foundation was their focus was on the team and the people around them. So so I'd say step one is about understanding how, how important it is and reflecting on your own experiencing and realizing it doesn't matter what you put in those lists. doesn't matter what your answer to those questions are. The one thing that separates them is rule number one. Yeah. And that's where I'd start. I mean, the question is, what else can you do that's practical to move that forward? And I'd say the first thing you've already touched on, actually, sorry, the second thing then that we would do, we've understood the importance, but in terms of a practical thing to do, when leaders sometimes say to me, look, you know, I haven't got much time, Peter, <laughs> which leaders do. If I could just focus on one or two things, you know, what would it be? What would I do? And the first thing I would say is listening. Really get to grips with listening. And, and I would argue people talk about listening skills. I don't believe listening is a skill. I believe it's a choice. And, and what we recognize with listening is that, you know, in your team, the answers are usually already in the room. But if it's always been about your input and your ideas, by starting to put it out there and listen to what's coming through, you'll start to find that you're getting less work. They're owning the ideas more significantly. Now, bear in mind, if it's always been about you and then you start asking for ideas, you're just going to get crickets. Okay, There's going to be silence. You're going to get nothing coming forward. So there's an element of coaxing this and bringing it through. But you see, listening is all about rule number one. When somebody else is trying to share stuff with you, well, then it's not about you. Because most of the time, we're just thinking about what we want to say in reply, you know, or what that makes us think of, or, or actually whether we need to buy peas on the way home, or what, whatever it is we need to be thinking about. But the, the key thing is they're talking to us. The question is, what are they trying to say to us so we can understand that and take that on board? And, and I, can I can think of so many examples of, of great leaders there was a, um, I was delivering a keynote at a conference once with the chief exec of uh, an NHS trust in, in the UK. So running a you know, very, very large hospital and in fact, be, 
beyond that, there's a whole range of different areas and services that are brought into that. And he talked about an event, a celebratory event that he'd been to where uh, an individual had had the idea. And this, I think this is genius. We need to get this idea out there because why isn't this happening everywhere? It was a one-day cancer clinic. And the idea was that in one day you came in and you had your blood tests, you had your scans, everything was all done. And at the end of the day, you had your answer as to what was going on within 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 one day. Absolute genius. It saved the trust millions, revolutionized what was going on for the patient experience. And at this event, the chief exec asked the person who came up with the idea, said, just out of interest, what sparked the idea? And they said, oh, I don't know. I can't really remember. He said, what do you mean you can't really remember? When did you have the idea? 15 years ago, but I didn't think anybody would listen. And, you know, it it doesn't really matter where you look. The answers are there. Our job is to bring them out. And when we recognize the importance of rule number, it's not about you. And the thing is, by the way, that's really good news for the team because it creates space for them. It's also really good news for the leader because the pressure we put on ourselves is immense where we think we need to have all of the answers. So that's a big shift that comes from that and a pressure that's released from us. But we shift our attention to listening and it's away from me and my ideas and we're starting to draw the answers through from them. Now, it takes time. There's lots of other things that we can do, but that's where I'd start as something practical. I could probably talk for another 20 minutes on what would follow and what sequence you might put it in, but that's where I'd start. Yeah, I love that. Listening is a choice, not a skill. That was one of my favorite things that you just shared. And you know, remembering to give yourself the permission to not make it about you. I give myself permission to let go of how smart I need to show, what what answers I need to have, and just actively listen to them. Let's dive into rule number two now. What is the second rule that every leader needs to know? Well, I guess rule number two takes a little bit of positioning, really, because what we have to recognize is that if we've got the foundation of rule number one and we realize, okay, it's not my job to deliver the result. It's my job to deliver the team who deliver the result. If I could, anybody who's listening to this podcast, if I could tattoo anything to the inside of their eyelids, it would be that statement. Okay, it's not my job to deliver the result. It's my job to deliver the team who deliver the result. So once we've got that, we then start to look at our team and think about, well, what have I got? And have I got the team I want? You know, when I look at my team, am I pleased with what I see? Am I frustrated? Are there gaps? Are there problems? Are there people that are just not stepping up to the mark? What is it that I've got that, that, I'm, that I'm dealing with? And we'll find in any team, there's, there's varying levels of skill, there's varying levels of capability, there's varying levels of commitment. And the challenge I give to the leader is, Whatever it is, whatever they've got in their team, it's your fault. Okay, we have to recognize that every team or every leader, I should say, gets the team that they deserve. Now, I recognize that we might inherit a team and it's it, maybe it's a real problem team. I'm not saying this is karma and say, ah, look, you deserve that team. It was coming to you. I'm recognizing that over time, It comes down to the influence that we have over that team, the choices that we make, the support that we give them, the conversations that we have. It's our responsibility to mold that team into what it needs to be. And if you like, this is an extension of rule number one because it's your job to deliver the team. But if you you perhaps 
work, work your way through this. I, I, I'm a big fan of John Maxwell's five levels of leadership. You know, he, he talks about, you know, level one leadership is where people follow you because they have to. Okay. And at that point, people do, well, well, they have to. That's <laughs> that's that's as good as it gets. Um, but level two leadership he talks about, he says the level two leadership is where people follow because they like you. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to be everybody's best buddy. I'm not suggesting that at all. But we could all think of people we've worked for whom we liked and people whom we didn't like. You give more when there's a relationship. So what you get now is a deeper level of commitment. Level three leadership is where people follow you because you deliver. Okay, that that means you follow through in your commitments. If you say you're going to do something, it happens. You know, it's not the leader that you talked about earlier where they say one thing and do another. They follow through. Things are better because you are there and the commitment that you yourself have shown. Level four leadership is where they follow you because you've helped them grow. And this goes back to what you said before about the leader who gives you extreme support. They've got your back. They'll challenge you. It's not always comfortable, uh, but they'll give you opportunities to grow. They'll even allow you to make mistakes. All of that stuff that you work your way through. And if you think of leaders that who've really helped you grow, if you reflect back on those, if any of you picked up the phone, if any of them picked up the phone or sent you a message saying, do you know what, Jen? I could really use your help next week. You'd do whatever you could to be there to help them. Okay, because there's a real level of, a really deep level of commitment that you would give to them. And it would be nice to think that people come with a remote control, wouldn't it, where we can press a button and say, well, I'd like a bit more commitment from you. Thank you very much. Zap. And let's move you down from level two to level three. But the point is, you can't make that choice. It's their choice. That's why rule number one is so important. That's why you've got to focus on them in order to facilitate that shift. And level five leadership brings us face to face with rule number two, because level five leadership says, well, uh, level five people will follow you. Uh, you They'll work for you with blood, sweat and tears. They'll follow you to the ends of the earth. And this is not manipulation, by the way. They're choosing to do this. They want to do this. Uh, and the whole concept we get here is that well, they follow you at level five leadership because they follow you because of who you are and what you stand for. And they see that and they value it uh, and they see how you behave and they see the congruence you know, in your values. They can see it all coming together and they admire that and they want to follow you. They want to do what needs to be done. They want to achieve whatever it is that you stand for. And what that recognizes then is because we can't press a button, there's no remote control to make somebody else change their level of commitment. The well, I'll ask you the question, Jen, what's the one thing that we as leaders can control to influence their choice to follow? What is it? I mean, we can control how we deliver things, but they ultimately have the choice. <laughs> so they ultimately have the choice. But if we want a deeper level of commitment from them, what is the one thing that we can control? The only thing that we can control? Oh, gosh, I feel like this is a trick question. If we want a deeper level of commitment, I think it's, you know, understanding what they care about, understanding what is important to them, understanding how they like to be led. Huge. Uh, think, okay. Yeah. So so all of these, they're, they're all fantastic answers. If we bring it right down to the core, what's at the heart of that is it comes down to my behavior. You know, I need to understand what they need. I need to behave accordingly. I need to understand what support's necessary. I need to behave accordingly. I have to recognize that I've got to look in the mirror and ask myself about my behavior. So, so what basically this brings us to, you know, uh, rule number two of leadership says, well, whilst rule number one says it's not about you, 
It's not about your ego. It's not about your way of doing things. It's not about your solutions. Well, rule number two turns around and says, hang on a minute. It's only about you. It's, you know, it, it, this isn't about somebody else's behavior. You can't change somebody else's behavior. You can only change your behavior. And if you want a different result from somebody else, if you want a different result from your team, then the le true leaders will look in the mirror and say, how do I need to change in order to deliver a different result, rather than getting more and more frustrated that their team aren't where they want them to be? Nelson Mandela absolutely nailed this when he, he said, well, I could not change others until I changed myself. That was, he, he really got rule number two, and, and he looked in the mirror, recognized how he needed to change, and that in itself brings about a change in the people around you. And when you look at everything, you can look at any leadership challenge through the lens of these two rules, and it falls into place. Once you've understood it from these two perspectives, everything makes sense. Yes. I And I love that. Every leader gets the team that they deserve. It's on us to take the responsibility to understand how our actions, our emotional intelligence, behaviors, how we set expectations, how we communicate will determine the behaviors of others. We don't have to take it all personally, but we do have to own and look for the places where maybe we messed up. Yes. And again, that comes down to, I guess, dropping ego, right? It's not about you. It's about understanding how you need to modify your behavior to get the results that the team needs to be successful. And that also includes not treating everyone the same. Understanding that leadership is not a one-size-fits-all approach because not everyone is motivated in the same way. Not everyone's at the same stage of their career or competence. Situational leadership, I guess, is where I'm going. Well, absolutely. And, th and this is why rule number one is so important because it's not about you. It's about them. And, and as you look at your team, they'll all require something different from you in terms of helping them become the best that they can be uh, so that they can deliver what needs to be delivered. Absolutely. I love this. We've talked about a lot and I know we have to wrap up, but you know, I, I want to ask what would be your closing thoughts on the topic? We talked about the two rules that every leader needs to know. First, it's not about you. And second, we can't change anyone else's behavior. We can only change our own. Uh, what would be final thoughts that you would want to share with our audience? Well, there's, there's, there's a big debate that's been going around for a long time about the whole, you know, what's the difference between a manager and a leader? And, and I would say we've been asking the wrong question. So we could kind of produce a nice list of here's what a man, you see lots of them on LinkedIn, don't you? Sorry. Here's what a manager does. Boom, ba -da -boom, ba -da -boom, ba -da -boom. Here's what a leader does. Boom, ba -da -boom, ba -da -boom, ba -da -boom. Okay. And they're totally different. And I would say the reality is it's messy. Okay. They, they, they cross over. I have stuff in one column that I expect to see in another. And it, you can't just may say it, it, it's just sort of completely separate. It's, it's that, it's that linear. I would argue that we can't necessarily make that kind of distinction purely based on this neat little two-column list that we, that we can right. come up with. I would argue that the, the real difference between a manager and leader is the question we've not been asking. It comes back to what we were saying before. Why does anyone work for a manager? Well, that's because it's the job. Okay, if I want to get paid... At the end of the day, if I want to pick up a paycheck, I need to do the job. So I work for a manager because I have to. And of course, we said earlier on, if you only work for somebody because you have to, then you only give what you have to. The key question then is, why would anyone follow a leader? And the answer is because they choose to. That's everything we've just been talking about. And, and however we distinguish managers and leaders, the real distinction is 
A leader is somebody you choose to follow. A manager is somebody you have to work for. And our goal is to make those the same people, is yeah. to, to, to bring it together. So we're not looking at separate columns. We're not looking at separate people. Because because from my perspective, there are too many managers out there making themselves and the people around them miserable. And if they get these two fundamental rules, that shifts for them and it shifts for their team. And I think if there was a final message I would get out following on from this, and that it would be to say, there is no such thing as the perfect leader. So let's stop pretending that we have to be that. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to say, I don't know. All of this stuff, there's no such thing as the perfect leader, but the next best thing is the leader who gets and applies rule number one and rule number two. I love that. There's no such thing as the perfect leader. We're all doing our best, but we have to apply those two rules. That's beautiful. Peter, how can our audience learn more about you? How can they get in touch with you? So there's probably two things that I would suggest. So first of all, LinkedIn is a good place to find me. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So Peter Anderton, you'll, you'll find me easily enough. Uh, on LinkedIn, and we can always post a, a, a link to that uh, in, in the podcast details below. Uh, and the other thing I would say is I've developed a really useful tool back on the back of what we said earlier on about too many leaders out there making themselves and the people around them miserable. Um, I've developed a self-assessment for leaders. It takes about three minutes to complete, and I'm making it available to, to, um, to listeners to the podcast completely free of charge, and you can share it with anybody you will. It takes three minutes to complete. And as a result, you'll get your, your own, you'll get a you'll get a PDF report that comes through with some key areas that you could get to work on straight away if you want to take any of these key areas that we talk about from a leadership perspective up to a whole new level. So so I would say complete the inspirometer, as I call it, and the, we'll put the link below. It's www.theinspirometer.com. Uh, and that way, you'll end up on my mailing list as well. And then we can reach out and have further communication from that point as well. And then finally, of course, this is my website, peteranderton.com. So any, any of those three would be a good place to start. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your contact information. And thank you for coming on The Leadership Habit to talk about the two rules that every leader needs to know. It was a great conversation. And I'm very glad that you stopped by. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, Jen. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I love that. The rules are simple. It's not about you. And you can't change anyone else's behaviors except your own. Now, if you want to continue that conversation with Peter, you can head on over to peteranderton.com. And of course, if we, Crestcom International, can help you in your quest to develop yourself, your team, and your organization to be better leaders, we would love the opportunity. Head on over to crestcom.com and there you can request a complimentary leadership skills workshop where we come in and work with your team to help you highlight your opportunities and work better together. Now, if you know someone that could enjoy the advice that Peter just shared, share this podcast episode with them. And of course, leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. Until next time.